Good day, everyone. Great to be back again uh, sharing with you. Commend the church for going through the book of Isaiah this year. It's a, it's a great uh, task that you have ahead of you. And uh, I've been asked to speak just on uh, three chapters this morning, so that's not too bad, is it? Chapter 2, verse 1, all the way through to chapter 4, verse 6. But I'm going to be concentrating on just some selected verses. You know, we uh, just had verses read to us that uh, describe God's longing for what the city really should be like. Talking about the city of God, talking about the city of Jerusalem specifically, but of course highly applicable to the cities that we know and love around us, to the city of uh, uh, Melbourne and to the neighbourhoods of Montmorency and surrounding areas. Uh, This is applicable stuff. Uh, a few years ago, a guy by the name of Robert Linthicum wrote a book called City of God, City of Satan. And uh, in that book, he talked about specifically about the city of Jerusalem, actually, but then, of course, applied it to um, cities around the world. And he said that every city has components of what God wants it to be, and every city has components that are very much opposed to that city of God, city of Satan. And so our cities side by side are filled with goodness and filled with evil. And they exist, they coexist. And that was his whole point. Every city, including Jerusalem, has the capacity for good and it has the capacity for evil. Existing side by side. There's a lot of good in the city and there's a lot of evil at the same time. And God has a plan, God has a strategic plan, and it comes out very clearly in Isaiah, as you're going to be going across the chapters of Isaiah this year, you're going to continue to see God's strategic plan, because he continues to describe the situation as it is. And Isaiah says to uh, the cities of Israel, to Jerusalem in particular, as the focal point of the prophecies, he says, uh, you know, this is what the city has become, and it's going to get worse, and I'm deeply saddened by that. Uh, but this is what the city could be, and this is what it's going to be in the future. And here's the plan on how to get there. And that's the typical uh, uh, framework for a strategic plan. And that comes across in uh, these chapters, but it also comes across in many places in the book of Isaiah. As far as these chapters are concerned, he describes uh, what, uh, what a flourishing city, the city of his dreams, if you like, would look like. And we've just had that uh, read uh, in uh, chapter 2, verses 2 to 4. Uh, and he describes uh, what it's currently like in uh, chapter 2, verse 6, all the way through to chapter 4, verse 6. And it's not a pretty picture. And then he details what must be done to get to be the city that he dreams about, as described in chapter 2. And and we'll find that out in selected verses across these passages. So first of all, let's have a look at those verses that were read to us. Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. And this is the city that God longs for. God speaks of a future where many nations will seek him. It's not just Israel that God is looking for, it's the many nations. There's a mission here that they need to accept. And where these many nations will seek him and his instruction, 
They'll look out for God. They'll ask God, you know, what is the way that you want us to live? What is it that you want us to do here? This is what God is seeing in the future. They will seek God's perspective on life so that they can do life his way. That's basically what God is saying through Isaiah about the city uh, that he is dreaming of. Another point that came out in those verses is that nations' disputes, the things that they have against each other, will be settled without war. So there's an end to war across the nations. Uh, There'll be an end to weapons of destruction. They'll become obsolete. They won't be needed anymore. And so the industry that spent a lot of time on the war machine will flourish in becoming something that, uh, that, that is done for the good of all people. It used to be used to destroy, but now it will be used to produce uh, good instead of evil. And no more training for war will be needed. The war machine will be closed down. So there's a lot of emphasis, isn't there, in these verses uh, that are anti-war uh, verses. God is saying through Israel... The cities will be at peace. The nations will be at peace when I have my way. Oftentimes we look at the Old Testament and we see one war after another and we see Israel involved in in conflict and dispute and, and, and warring with each other as well as with other nations. But God very clearly in this passage and in numerous other passages says, this is not my way. This is not what I want. There will be an end to war. There will be peace amongst the nations. That's what he's looking at. It's a beautiful picture of flourishing that we have here in these verses. We get a taste of what matters to God in this passage. What matters to God? Well, it's an inclusive world. It's a city that includes everybody. All nations will come to here to to seek him. Uh, There won't be any war. Disputes. Oh, yeah, there'll be disputes. There'll be differences. Of course there'll be differences. But they will uh, be settled peacefully. It's an inclusive world that's seeking to live God's way, looking to him for guidance on how to live, settling differences peacefully, resulting in the end of war and the flourishing of business that benefits all nations. There will be world peace. That's what God is looking for. Well, the question, of course, is when, when when will this happen? And this is a question of eschatology. This is a question of end times. And uh, some of us will, will have very different views on this because there are indeed many theories of end times. Uh, some look at a picture like this and see God dreaming of this, this city uh, that Isaiah is prophesying will come. And some say it's a picture of heaven at the end of time. And that we must wait patiently until Jesus returns uh, to usher in this kingdom. Uh, Others say that it's talking about Jerusalem after the exile. Because remember, uh, Isaiah was prophesying um, before the exile, before the Assyrian exile and the Babylonian exile. And that was going to take place. But then the the, the Jews returned from Babylon after 70 years over there in in Babylon and then Medo-Persia. They returned to Jerusalem and rebuilt Jerusalem and under Nehemiah and Ezra, some of the aspects, certainly not all of them, but some of the things that uh, Isaiah was talking about that God wants to see in his city 
actually happened for a short time under Nehemiah and under Ezra. And so people say that, oh, no, it's talking about Jerusalem after the exile when the Jews returned to that city under those leaders. Now, I think there's some truth in both of those views. I think the thing about prophecy is that we need to see various fulfilments. You know, there's partial fulfillment and there's final fulfillment. As I can still hear my father talking about those words, you know, partial fulfillment because he was an Old Testament scholar and he would talk about those things um, fairly frequently. And, uh, and I can hear him talking, partial fulfillment and final fulfillment. Uh, there's some aspects of these things. Uh, that would uh, uh, certainly be there uh, in a picture of heaven uh, and about to come at the end of time, and but also in the city of Jerusalem as uh, Nehemiah and Ezra lead it into a time of seeking God and under God's uh, lordship. But you know what? I believe there's another interpretation that, that I emphasise and that I would like to focus on this morning, and that is that the church... Uh, right here and now is the flourishing community, or it is to be, should be, the flourishing community that God dreams of through Isaiah. You see, the church is called to be an inclusive community. Everybody's welcome. The church is called to seek so that we might live God's way. Uh, The church is called to look for guidance on how to live from God. The church is called to settle differences peacefully, not to be at war with one another, but to settle differences peacefully. The church is called to do all of its business in ways that benefit everybody, especially the vulnerable. The church is called to be the community that God is talking about through Isaiah as he dreams of what it could be of what it should be and so the invitation goes out from God in verse 5 house of Jacob or can we say followers of Jesus come and let us walk in the Lord's light you see God is describing what he really wants to happen this is what matters to me and then he then he then he gives the invitation (laughs) and he says house of Jacob come Come and let us walk in the Lord's light. And he's saying to us this morning, followers of Jesus, come and let us walk in the Lord's light. Let's be the city that God wants us to be. And let's be the community, the neighborhood, the community of followers of Jesus that God wants us to be. There's another interpretation that I want to stress this morning too. And that is that this teaching is applicable to our mission in the world our mission in the world because Jesus told us to pray your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven now I don't believe that that's just a prayer for the end of time I think that's here and now I think that Jesus was saying pray that a piece of heaven comes to earth pray that a piece of heaven is experienced by Montmorency as you leave this place and you live your life in this neighbourhood and in the, in the businesses that you go to and wherever you travel to throughout the week. Pray that a piece of heaven comes to earth. And heaven is all about love and grace and peace and justice and mercy and forgiveness and the fruit of the Spirit. 
and gentleness. Pray that heaven is experienced as you leave this place. You see, I think that's what Jesus was praying for. And you know what? As we do that in our daily lives, as we do that out there in the neighborhoods and the businesses around the metropolitan area, as we do that, a little bit of life changes for people because they experience God for who he is. And they experience something of what it is like to be in heaven. Is that too much to, 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 to stress? I don't think it is. Because I look at the life of Jesus and that's exactly what he did. And especially the vulnerable. The religious heavies didn't experience it. They, they, they didn't experience it at all. But the vulnerable experience, they, they found out what it's like to live in heaven <laughs> when they encountered Jesus. Because they, they, they experienced his grace and his love and his acceptance. They experienced uh, all of what it is to experience God. And I think that's what we're being called to. I think that's what we're, why we're being uh, called, invited by Jesus as followers of Jesus to come and walk in the Lord's light, making it an everyday experience. There is a sense of, yes, Lord, this can be now. This can be now. And our cities can actually change. Our cities can actually change. We go through the history of revivals. I think specifically because it's the one that I'm most familiar with, the Wesleyan revival, uh, through Wesley and and, and various others around his time. And and England was changed. England was changed because of that. In fact, historians look back on that and they say if it wasn't for the Wesleyan revival, the evangelical revival in England, it would have gone the same way as the French Revolution. You see, England was changed. Why? Because followers of Jesus took it seriously. They weren't waiting for the end times of, well, we'll just hang around and wait for the new city at the end times. They said, let's make a difference now. (laughs) And they did. And I believe that that's a part of the call that we have as the church. So that's the city that God dreams of. And we, we, we see something of what really matters to God. But in the rest of the passage that I was given that we haven't read, it's too lengthy, but I tell you what, um, I, I don't know if these passages for each week have been distributed. Have, have they to everybody? Has everybody seen the passages that you've divided a, a, across? Because it would be great if you do, because then people will be really enthused, I know, to read up on the passages and come uh, prepared uh, yourselves. But, you know, the, these other verses that are there in chapters 2 and 3 and 4 are incredible verses, and take the time to read them. I'm going to describe some of them. And in these passages, God, we, we, we see something of what God sees now. God describes how he sees things in the city right now and amongst his people as they are right now. He sees uh, Judah as being proud and haughty over all of its resources and wealth. You see, this is a time before the Assyrian uh, exile and, uh, and, and, and uh, Israel is doing pretty well. There's a whole lot of wealth there and there's a whole lot of uh, uh, resources and they're looking to themselves, they're looking to their own resources. Look how good we are, look how well off we are. Boo, God smiled on us. But God looks at it and he says, you're proud and you're haughty about this stuff. I don't like that. And you're worshipping idols and you're not giving, giving glory to God. And so you're going to be humbled by God to bring you back to a position of trusting in God. 
At the moment, they trust in their own abilities and their own wealth and their own military strength, but all of this is going to end. This happened in Isaiah's time through Assyria and then Babylon. And so God is saying, whenever you look to your own abilities and resources instead of God, we fall into the same trap. You know, it's great to have a vision um, that uh, was put up here. It's great to have a plan for ministry. But I know that you're being very careful to not look to your own abilities to fulfill that. You're looking to God because that's what God calls you to. God has called you to something much bigger than what you can bring about. Much bigger. Uh, you know, sometimes when we sit down and we plan things out and we look at the resources we have, and, and you know, to be responsible, we've got to do that, but then go the next step. Because God is looking to do something much greater and, 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 and that he might get the glory. And that's a, we've got to become part of, of the vision of the church as we reach out in, into the world around us, that God will do mighty things. And we won't look to our own resources and we won't be arrogant about our own resources. You see, nations fall and communities implode and families become dysfunctional and churches turn into mere human organisations when they're dependent on the next program to rescue it from death. Because the next program, it's not what God's looking for. God is looking for us to trust in him and to seek him, seek his instruction, to seek what he is saying to the churches today, not what everybody else is saying but what he is saying to the churches today. That's really important. That was a part of what he said that matters to him within the city that he's dreaming about. They're going to come and they're going to seek my instruction. That's what it's all about. God is saying to our communities and our families and our churches that we need to stop and turn to him, for in him alone we will find our greatness. But the chapters go on, the verses go on, and and um, and, and God says, uh, from his perspective, Judah is in ruins. They're losing. They're, they're going to lose all means of support. And one of the things that was a real problem that, that God was looking at in the city of that time was a lack of leadership. There was a lack of leadership to the point where anybody with a cloak, in other words, anybody who had something that somebody else didn't have, would be coerced into being a leader against their will. And then they would have the privilege of ruling over a mound of rubbish, such as the city of Jerusalem. That's what is in the verses. I'm not, I'm not making this up. <laughs> he says, you know, you'll go out and you'll search for a leader. And you say, oh, he's got a cloak. Well, he'll make a good leader. Let's grab him and you can be king over our mound of rubbish. <laughs> That's what God says in these verses. Yeah, isn't that a thrilling thing? Maybe it's good that Josh isn't here. <laughs> We're not suggesting in any way that this is what leadership should be because God's saying no no this is not what I want this is not what I want it's the opposite of flourishing it's the opposite of what God sees in the city and God condemns them for their sinfulness he condemns them for the way that they are And one of the key things that he talks about, in fact, probably the only specific thing that he talks about in these verses as far as their sin is concerned, he says, you have devastated the vineyard. The plunder from the poor is in your houses. Why do you crush my people 
and grind the faces of the poor. When he looks at the city of Jerusalem, when he looks at the cities of Israel and Judah, he sees them oppressing the poor. And he says, this has got to stop. This has got to stop. You have devastated the vineyard. The plunder from the poor, that which you have taken from the poor of the land, you've put in your own houses. In other words, you're benefiting. You're privileged on the back of the underprivileged. You're benefiting from the fact that there are people in your cities who are not benefiting, who are the poor of the cities. And this has got to stop. He has a lot of generic stuff about sins. You know, you've got to stop your sinfulness and so forth. But this is the one where he gets specific. Stop crushing my people and grinding the faces of the poor. And then in the uh, final verses of these chapters, uh, he's talking about an invasion that is coming and, of course, the Babylonian invasion. And it's going to affect the women of the city in particular. There's verses here, chapter 3, verses 16, through to chapter 4, verse 1. And he says, The women of the city are going to be greatly affected. Everything they treasure will be taken away, including their appearance, their adornments, and their men. It will be a terrible time for them. And the verses there say that they're going to be bald, smelly, and let off in ropes. You see, invasion by Babylon was not going to be a good thing. It was going to be a terrible thing. And this is what they're facing. And the women will be widows and they'll be childless. And Jerusalem, the city, will suffer greatly. Jerusalem's gates were once a place of welcome and wise decision-making. They'll be deserted and filled with mourning and lament. You see, what God is describing here, what he looks down and he looks at the city, uh, is the opposite of flourishing. It's a contrast to the the city of God, uh, the city that God longs for, as seen in the passages a few minutes ago. This is a picture of a wretched city in contrast to the flourishing city. Now, when we think about Australia... Our, our cities and our neighbourhoods are not as wretched as what's being described here. In fact, if you looked at a bit of a continuum between wretched and flourishing, our cities, compared to other cities around the world, are pretty much flourishing cities. You know, We're well off. We're privileged people here in Australia. One of the problems is that not everybody benefits from our privilege. Because there are underprivileged around us. There are poor around us. We don't experience in Australia places right down the wretched end, such as being described here by God in this passage. But there certainly are cities around the world that are wretched in that sort of way. Our Australian cities lie pretty much up the flourishing end of the continuum, but not everybody in our cities benefit from the privilege that we experience. And the problem that uh, we have in Australia is not social devastation, not wretchedness, but it's social inequity. And this is on a major scale. And the prophets, I believe, would condemn this and it would declare wretchedness 
as being on its way because of the social evils within our community. And as a church, we are called to be a radical alternative to that. Do you understand that? You know, some of us in the church, or some of, I, I hear people talking as though we want Christendom back again, you know, where Australia is sort of legally and in every way uh, exists under Christendom. But, you know, one of the things that Christendom does is that it relieves us as the church of the radical call to be countercultural. <laughs> you see, we are called as the church to be the radical alternative. We are called as the church in Australia to be the city of God that he looks at and says, yes, this is what I want. To be that shining light, to be that salt that Jesus talked about. We are called to be a radical alternative, a church that is that is fulfilling God's dream of what the city could be like, of what the community could be like. Because God's ideal, God's ideal involves inclusiveness. So it involves a church where everyone is welcome and where everyone has the same opportunities to benefit from whatever flourishing we experience. Think about this in Monty Church. What does God look for at Monty? And you've been going over a lot of the vision and a lot of what it means to be a church in Montmorency, and I applaud you for that. Well, these verses would suggest that he wants you to be inclusive and he wants you to seek God and his instruction, to be a church of wisdom, that he wants you to be able to resolve disputes peacefully to be a church of peace and safety because there will be differences of opinion there'll be differences of approach but he wants all those disputes to be settled so that this is a place of safety even for people who differ (laughs) even for people who have different ideas it's still a safe place it's okay to be able to speak my mind at monty because it's safe Because differences can be resolved peacefully. That's what God is saying that he dreams of in a community. And the business of the church at Monty that benefits everybody. So we could say the business is the youth group. And the business is, you know, the kids ministry. And the business is what happens here on a a Sunday morning. And the business, the things that we do as a church that they might benefit everybody. And we're not proud and haughty about any success that we might have, but that we're a humble church. That's what God's looking for. That we have leaders who are well equipped for the task of leadership, a well-led church. I, I applaud you for the appointment of Josh as the paid elder. I've been praying for that for some months. I, um, I, I felt... It uh, must have been last, maybe two years ago, I don't know, because I don't think I was here last year, was I? Uh, except on video. Um, that uh, I, Josh got up and, and, and he led a, a service on behalf of the elders where he um, apologised on behalf of the elders. I've forgotten what the issue was now. But I just saw in that man a humble leader. And, 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 and I, I felt at that time, this guy has got good leadership qualities. 
So I'm, I'm personally very pleased that uh, Josh has taken on that role. Well done. Looking after the poor and needy, that's one of the specific things that comes up and God wants us to be a church, that wants Monty to be a church that looks after the poor and the needy as a church of compassion and loving kindness. And so that's my prayer for you, that out of these verses, that you will grab a a, a picture of what God dreams about, of what he really wants you to be. And you will make sure that you don't go down a pathway that will take you in any way in the opposite direction to what God wants you to be, as God saw Jerusalem at that time. And that you will be always seeking God's wisdom and God's guidance on how do we put this into practice? How do we put this into practice? Because God has called the church to be a radical alternative in the cities of Australia that they might experience what it is to live in heaven as they experience us. That's our prayer, isn't it? God bless you.